Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa aparuta de sangamatasa tawara this evening, listening to the silence, list particular temple I found probably one of the best places on the planet to meditate in. Well, you can meditate anywhere, but when we built this temple, I, the architect asked me what, what I wanted, what my intention was. And so I was just being facetious. I said, I want you to build a temple where as soon as stressed out people from London enter, their minds go silent. (laughs) And he succeeded. So the nature of consciousness is silence, stillness, luminosity, here and now. And the point of the Buddhist teaching is letting go of sankharas with wisdom, not just because we don't want them, but because we use sankhara it leads us to pure consciousness or dhamma or nibbana, non-grasping. <clears throat> so during this retreat, just emphasizing the, the powerful conditioning process that, <clears throat> that takes place in all of us, the, the identity, the self-identity, the the conventional conditioning, social conditioning, the the thinking process. Modern education is about acquiring knowledge from books, from teachers. So we're educated to think. We use reason and logic, developing a kind of skillful way of thinking But it doesn't lead in itself toward liberation. Oftentimes we the thinking process we we develop strong views, opinions about ourselves, about the world around us, about other people. <clears throat> and that's why the world is the way it is, why there's war and conflict and So much misery at this time in reading the news is like, you know, 
it's very sad to see so many, like in the Middle East, in Syria or Iraq, Libya, wars over what people think, particular positions they have, views that they're bound to out of ignorance. And so they end up, you know, destroying the country that they're trying to protect. <clears throat> the slaughter of other human beings. <clears throat> For what purpose, you know? What is it to, to get democracy or peace or to get your own way? What is the goal if, if it, it, you know, in the West it's democracy, in other countries it's something else, but it's a, it's a goal that is created by human beings. It's, it's a, usually the goal is ideal, like an ideal democracy, <clears throat> a perfect democratic system is an, is an ideal. <clears throat> or a government anarchy, or socialism, or communism. They're all ideas, ideals of how things should be, how society should be, how things should be run. <clears throat> so we cling to these, these ideals, take sides for and against, and then we conflict, we fight, we quarrel, kill each other, <clears throat> over what? Over empty sankharas, and this is what happens with the conditioning process, you know, this is what conditioning is, it's like if you, you know, programming your computer, <clears throat> we, when we're born we start getting programmed. <clears throat> or start being programmed. And then that programmed, you know, I'm not against this, I'm not criticizing, but pointing to the limitation of conditioning even at its best. Even if it's all very good conditioning, it still binds us, blinds us to birth and death and fear, and greed, hatred, and delusion. Because that's the nature of sankharas. They're, they're not meant to be attached to. They're to be seen, seen with wisdom, with discernment. <clears throat> and so that's uh, what I've been pointing at with this emphasis on uh, Amra, Amra, Vati symbol, the way that um, the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, Nibbana, Anatta, Niroda, all these words, <coughs> even the word Dhamma, what does it mean? And we want another Sankara definition of Dhamma or Nibbana. But the Buddha isn't pointing towards the future, future ideal state in a, of a Buddhist world, everybody an Arahant. You know, that's not going to happen. Where everybody's enlightened, happy, and 
wise. That's, that's a lovely ideal. But right now, here and now, it's like this, isn't it? You're, you're feeling this way. The situation is like this. <clears throat> and this, this way of, of noticing, of awakening, of reflecting on the here and now, is unconditioned. Is, consciousness isn't conditioned. So in the Four Noble Truths teaching, the, the path, the Eightfold Path, really amounts to consciousness knowing itself. It knows itself. It knows, you know, it, it's complete and whole. And conditions, sankaras, phenomena arise and cease according to their nature, according to other conditions. But consciousness remains pure. And so the Buddha's teaching is pointing to, to return to, or to access, to notice, pay attention to the way it is. Here and now, at this very moment, it's like this. Consciousness knows that it's, it's this way. Then, you know, on a personal level, you might, you like the way it is, you don't like the way it is, it's, it's too much of this or too little of that. And we, we get caught into the thinking mind of, uh, on a, that's conditioned through ignorance, through not understanding Dhamma. So the Buddhist teaching is really, you know, a shortcut. Very clear, very accurate uh, uh, directions. How, do, how to realize your true nature. So then consciousness isn't, isn't personal. When there's just awareness and silence, there's still a consciousness. When you're aware and you realize emptiness and nibbana, you don't drop dead. <clears throat> the body's still breathing, feeling hot or cold, pleasure or pain, it's like this. But consciousness, aware of itself, knowing itself. And as I said before, it's important to realize consciousness is not critical function. It's not, it's not uh, saying how you should or shouldn't be or where you're right or wrong. It, it, it's not critical. That's the, the thinking mind. That's the conditioned thinking process we've acquired. So there's a, used to be a pamphlet uh, that I like quite well, a translation of uh, one of Lung Po Cha's Desanas, uh, was called Your Real Home. And so this is what it was pointing at, your real home is, is in awareness rather than in a 
particular place or under certain conditions that you might remember. Some people don't know where their real home is. <clears throat> but the real home then is here and now. It's not separate from you. And awakening to that is the is samaditi, right understanding. <clears throat> so the eightfold path is 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 called eight folds, not eight steps. The thinking process, you can only think one one thought at a time. You have to think samaditi, samasangapo, samawaja, sama you can't say all of them at one moment. Impossible. <laughs> but, but, but samaditi is 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 what becomes apparent. It's right understand perfect understanding. Dhamma consciousness knowing itself, this is the path. So with Buddhist meditation, bhavana, the Pali word for meditation is bhavana, is cultivating this path. <clears throat> I think first I must have samaditi, then I'll, then I'll cultivate samathangapo, and then that will lead me to samavaja, and on like that, this way of thinking, isn't it? one thought at a time. But with samaditi, the rest, it's, it's eight folds. It, it arises together. It's not about time and going from one first step to the second step. In the uh, elements, the four elements, the six elements, so much emphasis in, in early years in terms of vipassana was made about earth, fire, water, and air elements, <clears throat> seeing them as anicca dukkanata. But very little was ever said about uh, space and consciousness. So there, there, that makes six elements. But without space and consciousness, there's no, no possible way uh, the other four elements can manifest. So we can perceive space through seeing. You know, space is <clears throat> through vision. It's around us all the time. It's here and now. It's inside us, surrounding. It, the temple is in space, the planet Earth is in space. But we don't need to look beyond the here and now, just beginning to, to notice, pay attention to space, reflecting on it. It has no other quality other than space. It's not beautiful or ugly or red or blue. 
but it's here and now. And it has no boundary in terms of our perception of space. We might see the, the boundary of the walls of the temple as containing space, but the temple is in space. Where does space end? in terms of the here and now. And so we're beginning to, to reflect on, rather than define, rather than think about it. You can't think about space. There's nothing much to think about. But it's certainly observable, isn't it? Awareness, satisampachanya. It's like this. And to really observe space, you withdraw your fascination, your obsessions with the conditions, with the people in the space, the shrine, the, the symbols in the temple, and so forth. You don't have to get rid of them, but just not be, go from one thing to another and just observe, aware, open. And it has no boundary. And it's non-personal, even though some people, I've heard meditators say, this is my space, what are you doing in my space? <laughs> but that's someone who's not contemplating the, the, the reality of space. <clears throat> It gives perspective, doesn't it? When we have space, we have perspective on, on the conditions <clears throat> in it. But it can be the, the, that which is never noticed, never consciously reflected upon, just taken for granted. And yet, at this moment, the space is the important thing, isn't it? The space allows us all to be in this temple. In this temple, we're just made out of cement, solid cement. We couldn't meet in it. <laughs> no matter how ornately we might decorate the cement, it wouldn't fulfill the, the need for a temple. It would be a monument. <clears throat> so consciousness... gives perspective on thinking, on feeling, as we reflect on the, the, the subject of consciousness at this moment, it's like this. <clears throat> and you, we're experiencing consciousness now, everybody's conscious, that's the a fact. And yet can be completely ignored for, you know, our own program of ideals of meditation or our own feelings in the moment, our physical sensations or moods or emotions or whatever they might be would occupy consciousness so that consciousness itself doesn't know itself 
because it's we're experiencing consciousness through senses, through seeing or hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. So mindfulness, satisambhajanya, is that escape hatch to pure consciousness. Conscious awareness. Then these words such as dhamma or nibbana, anatta, sunyata, niroda, these, the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, These are just words pointing to the same thing. Here and now, it's like this. Now, if you, if you really pursue this, cultivate it, really bhavana with samaditi, then, you know, even though your, your thinking mind does tend to take, us, take oneself over, but you're you're no longer committed to thinking or analyzing, but observing, puto, putang sarnangachami. It's through that that we know Dhamma, ultimate reality, which is here and now, and our real home. So the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, Nibbana, Anatta, Dhamma itself, they're not meant to be described or defined. They're merely directional signs ways of reflecting. Like try to imagine not having a self with the thinking mind. I'm, I don't have any self. I can say that. You know, I'm, I'm practiced all these years and I don't have any self left. <laughs> But that's self itself, isn't it? <laughs> but when you when you're in that state of suspended attentiveness, of awareness, sati sambhajanya, is consciousness, non-thinking. And if you recognize that, appreciate that, that's something you can really trust. Then instead of just seeing it as as nothing, because on the personal level, it doesn't seem like anything. Because the personality, the conditioned realm, wants to fill it with something, you know, it has to to start thinking or analyzing or describing or defining. 
So that, you know, that's what the thinking mind's supposed to do. That's, that's its function. And we are very much thinking creatures. The, the Pali word manusia means a creature that thinks. Mano. So this thinking, you know, is a is 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 a gift, but also a curse, because if we if we're always thinking from avijja, from samaditi, from sakyaditi, if our thoughts always come from from the conditioned habits of sakyaditi sila bhattabharamasa vichikhecha. <clears throat> No matter how clever our minds may be, or how many years we dedicate ourselves to meditation, you'll never, you never understand. You'll never realize. So that's why I always encourage this: that this, the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, is not as just a another chant we do in evening puja, or because Ajahn Sumedho said we should learn it. It's for reflection. And, and it, it, you can inquire into it, investigate. What is the unborn at this moment? And the thinking mind stops. Ask yourself that question, what is the unborn at this moment. And the, and the thinking stops. And there's awareness of that's consciousness. But when the thinking mind stops, if we, <clears throat> if we lack patience, and we want an answer, we want a, a, a definition of the unborn, then we start trying to figure it out. Trying to figure out what does that really mean? It's just a negation of the born. It's abstract concept. Doesn't seem very important. Because you can't really grasp it or get your mind around it. But you can open to it, and that's what Sati Sampachanya is all about. The escape hatch, the, the gate to the deathless. So noticing the absence of thought, being aware of non-thinking rather than trying to think about non-thinking. <clears throat> It's like this. It's it's here and now. It's it's our true nature, and so this the wichikicha or doubt, the third fetter, is is one of the ways to realize the path with some samaditi. To have insight into the absence of attachment, the gaps, the space, the intervals, 
between the question itself and the arising of some conceptual desire, a desire to conceive it as this or that, or dismiss it. It doesn't seem like anything. Because it's, it's no thing, it's not a thing. But it is like this. And so this is like in, in uh, the Eightfold Path really amounts to consciousness knowing itself. And this takes patience to, to patience, endurance, to bear with the, the tendencies, the habitual tendencies to try to conceive it or form opinions about it or just dismiss it. And then the eight folds, so that's, that's one way of describing the, the path is not really a path. <clears throat> you don't go anywhere. <laughs> but there's this awakened knowing. Consciousness is, knows itself. That's the path, the eightfold path. Try to think about that. It can be you get your mind in a twist again. But this is a, this is a reflective talk this evening, an encouragement to to learn to trust this. To uh, I found over the years teaching meditation here in the UK. You know, one of the problems that people have with Buddhist meditation is they're often very intelligent and well-educated, read a lot of Buddhist literature, maybe have ordained, but they don't trust the reality of here and now. There's always this, this, this kind of lurking idea that you, you're not you have to get something you don't have. That you're not good enough. That, <clears throat> and you've got to get rid of bad thoughts. Get rid of desire, get rid of greed, get rid of anger and aversion. And you should have a, a mind filled with loving kindness and compassion. And all this is conceptual proliferation, the sense of a self uh, through the conditioning process uh, with concepts maybe you've acquired from Buddhist texts. So because you, the, you believe that this is true, that you are really uh, have to get something you don't have and get rid of something you have that you, you don't want, and then meditation is always about doing something now, sitting, in order to get samadhi. So I've got to get a certain level of samadhi in order to do vipassana. These are many of the teachings in, in, that teachers offer us. And in Thailand, you know, the, 
there's certain teachers that always tell you that you've got to get upana samadhi or upachara samadhi before you can do vipassana. There's another teacher used to be in, I don't know if he's still alive, but he used to talk about pure vipassana and no, no samatha. He used, he'd say the word samatha like it was a dirty word. <laughs> what are these? When we hear that, I'm not saying he's wrong, or I, the, the first one is wrong. It's not about right and wrong, but it's an opinion, isn't it? If I tell you you have to get something before you can meditate, you've got to get a certain level of concentration before you can do vipassana, you believe me. Some of you will, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that it's wrong, but it's you're you're acquiring an opinion from from some somebody else, from me, rather than trusting in the awareness of here and now. <clears throat> So this retreat has been in a, you know, uh, the aim is to, to affirm that for you, to to encourage you. People don't trust. That you can't trust your thoughts or your views and opinions, because they can change and be right, or they can be wrong according to other conditions. There's nothing. No, it's not absolute right or absolute wrong. So in <clears throat> speaking from my own practice, I was, you know, be, uh, first year I was a samanera before I met Lungpo Cha. And uh, when, you're, when you're alone in a kuti by yourself for a year, it was about a year I was uh, living in, in Nong Kai province, northeast Thailand. And uh, I, I, want, I put myself intentionally in such a position. And it was a, what they call Kao Hong type of meditation in Thailand. It means you, you go into your kuti and you stay there. You don't have to go to meetings or pujas or bindabat. They bring, you know, someone would, a samanera would bring a tiffin carrier of food every day. And you were supposed to practice uh, a certain meditation technique. which I had learned before I ordained. I'd, I'd spent uh, six months uh, living in Bangkok, teaching English, and uh, started meditating at Wat Mahathat, which was, is in the very center of Bangkok. So I learned this technique. And I wanted to spend uh, this year just practicing this technique. But before I (laughs) 
ordained as a samanera in Onkai, I met uh, another samanera, a Canadian samanera in Canada, from Canada. I met him in, in Vientiane, in Laos, who said I should just put myself in the kuti and stay there with, and read the Four Noble Truths, the Word of the Buddha, a pamphlet published in Sri Lanka. So I did. I acquired this this pamphlet. It's not very big. It has the the, the basic uh, teachings from the scriptures, from the suttas, <clears throat> with little interpretation. It was uh, compiled by a German bhikkhu who I never met. He, I think he passed away many years before, called Nyanatiloka. So that first year, the first month, you know, I about the first three days being alone in a kuti was was uh, like paradise, <laughs> and I couldn't speak Thai or and then the, the nobody could speak Bangkok Thai in the monastery. They all spoke uh, Northeast dialect. They all spoke this dialect, and nobody could speak English. So I didn't have any, I just took this one, one book, Word of the Buddha, and didn't take any other literature. <clears throat> it was determined, I had this strong determination to break through to something real. And uh, the first three days was fine, you know, because you, suddenly you were away from everybody, all the impingement and demands and and I'd lived a very busy life in Bangkok <clears throat> and most of my life has been before I ordained was a very busy one that's the way you're brought up to be busy keep busy work hard and and uh, keep busy and don't be lazy and suddenly I was in this kuti in the forest and with nothing to do but this technique, which is very stylized technique where you do everything in slow motion. Well, I couldn't sustain that 24 hours a day. <laughs> and then there were no distractions. I couldn't talk to anybody. And so, you know, you'd hear one of the other summoners inform me that the monk, there was a monk across the way and another kuti right across from mine who, who developed this technique to perfection. So I used to watch him. Everything was just so perfectly slow. It took him forever to eat a meal. <laughs> <laughs> and so I tried to do that. And I, and I could see part of me wanted to impress the other monks in the monastery because <laughs> they were praising this monk as the, he's our, our great, our, our success story. And then the, the proud, vain Sumato wanted to be another one. So the first three months were were a total failure. I gave up trying to do this practice. And I, instead, I didn't know what to do. 
So I started reading Word of the Buddha. But I couldn't even concentrate on that because when you lack the distractions uh, that you're used to, to in order to accommodate your life, because in, in anyone's lifetime, they, you learn how to survive by suppressing all kinds of emotions. <clears throat> because I was brought up in a family where you were not to show any anger. So I, you know, at the age of 30, I was, uh, you know, I had been quite successful at suppressing anger, at least I thought. And then when, in, in, a, in a lay life, I could do it. There were so many different ways to distract oneself when anger arose. Or I just follow it and kind of, you know, fortunately I didn't act on it usually. But uh, I thought I was, I thought I was, uh, I had an image of myself as a nice guy. Someone very nice. <clears throat> but it, during the first three months, there was nothing nice about me. <laughs> Except I was safely accommodated in a kuti separate from everybody else. And I couldn't speak the, the, the native language. So what do you do when there's nothing, nowhere to go, nothing to do? So you, you'd find, find way, I started watching the dogs in the monastery and <laughs> But something in me didn't want to leave. You know, I could have left, I could have, nobody was forcing me to stay there. So, and, and the anger and resentment that I was feeling wasn't coming, it wasn't due to anything around me. People were, the monks, the, the Mechis, the, the lay people were very good to me. So it wasn't, nobody was persecuting me or causing me to feel angry. But suddenly this, this all this repressed anger of 30 years started coming into consciousness. And I, I'd ordained to find peace and bliss. <laughs> That's what I wanted. My, uh, the goal of my life was to attain a state of bliss and stay there forever. So that... <clears throat> And, and the, the first three months were like living in hell because all this anger, resentment, fears, irrational fears would, would arise. And all I could do was just sit and stay, you know, and not, not I didn't, I, there was nowhere to go, no one to talk to. So you just endure it. And that seemed to, you know, in some intuitive way, I, I was doing the right thing because after three months, though, the, all this repressed fear, anger, resentment disappeared. And I became aware of a, of a great luminosity. So I woke up one morning, and instead of feeling angry and resentful, I felt everything looked, was, was covered in light and beautiful. My, 
and I thought, and I tried to think of something that would make me angry, and I couldn't do it. I could think of things that memories that would usually arouse anger, but didn't didn't arouse any. So I thought I was enlightened. <laughs> that was I, because I didn't have wisdom yet to understand what was happening. I didn't have the panya. But then I started reading the word of the Buddha and, and applying that to and that that state of bliss lasted about five, six days and then disappeared when I went to the immigration to renew my visa <laughs> and then to do something that wasn't very it was very unpleasant. And then I knew I wasn't enlightened. <laughs> So this word of the Buddha, I started, I had this sense, you had to internalize it, you know, there's dukkha, it should be understood, it has been understood. So it was, it was this uh, taking the Buddha's teaching and, and internalizing the teaching. It, it was in, the, in this, this pamphlet, Word of the Buddha. But you can only read a pamphlet so many times and Four Noble Truths is quite easy to remember on, on the sanya level, on the memory level. But to, to what do you mean by understand dukkha? So there was this, this observing, this ability to observe. And I noticed during the period of luminosity that I had before this, I, I started noticing what I refer to as sound of silence a kind of resonating vibratory. It's not really a sound. And I noticed if I rested in that, I'd go into tranquility, into equanimity. So it's an insight into the spaciousness or consciousness itself. But I didn't have the wisdom to understand it. And, uh, and so, uh, during that first year, at the end of that year, a, a monk, a disciple of Lung Po Cha came. He was a Tudonga monk, one who wanders, and stayed at this monastery I was at in Nongkai. And uh, he's the one that informed me about Lung Po Cha because I knew nothing before that. Uh, uh, Lung Po Cha's fame had not reached Bangkok at all, or anyone I knew. So he convinced me to train as a Buddhist monk with Lung Po Cha. So I took the bhikkhu ordination in 1967 and spent the first pansa as a bhikkhu with Ajahn Chah. So, but developing this, this awareness around the Four Noble Truths is, is the, what I've been, is, is my guide, what I trust in, because I've used this for over 50 years. Just taking the, the simple, ordinary human 
experience of suffering, understanding it, second noble truth, I started observing, you know, desire. And I found that very enlightening, the three kinds of desire, because my social conditioning, cultural conditioning, was desire something, not something very good. And so you want to get rid of... First I thought a good Buddhist monk gets rid of all desires. This is how the kind of logic I used when I first interpreted it. You get rid of it. And so I'm trying to get rid of desire. Doesn't You can't get rid of it. It comes and goes. But you can understand it. This is a desire realm we're living in. This is all about desire, our physical forms, our bodies. We're here because of desire. Dana. So existence arises, things that have a beginning have an end. Desire has a beginning and an end. Desire, sensual desire for sense pleasures. Bhavadana, desire for attainment. I could see that. I began to contemplate my ambition to become to get something I don't have. I began to just observe wanting to get. I'd read also before that, Mr. Dimaga, especially on the meditation. And so I, you know, it creates this desire to get jhanas. So I was very much desiring to attain these blissful states. Desire to get something I don't have is like this to attain something. You start observing the feeling of trying to to get something you don't have is like this. It's ambition, isn't it? It's, It's desire for attainment, desire for becoming. And then the Whippawadana, desire to get rid of, so much of my life had been about Whippawadana, trying to control, get rid of, anger, get rid of desire. So if, so the second noble truth, I really had a lot of insight into letting go of desire. So you experimented in letting go is one way of, first it becomes repression, you know, get rid of it, let go of it. it can be interpreted as annihilating it. But notice that the first noble truth isn't annihilating dukkha, is it? It's not, there is dukkha and you should get rid of it. You should understand it. Desire is another condition that is suffering. And to understand it, to know it like Gamadana is like this, Bhavadana is like this, Vipavadana is like this. If you keep investigating in this way, you you see for yourself what what it is. And that which is aware, the the question that would arise in my mind, that which is aware of desire, what is that? Is that another sankhara? 
it's always seemed like me because I found anatta quite the the concept of non-self quite confusing because it always seemed like I was doing this meditation and I'm the one that's having the insights. <clears throat> so when I met Lung Po Cha, you know, then I, as I said before, previous evening, his emphasis on Bhutto, on the knowing of desire. It's, it, this consciousness is non-personal. It's anatta. So, you know you're conscious. Consciousness is like this. Trust that, that simplicity of knowing. Can you describe what it is to be conscious? You know, is it, you know, can you, can you define it for me? I can't, but I know consciousness. I know consciousness is like this. Then the Bhutto, the, the mantra, helps to, to reflect in that way, the knowing, because consciousness isn't, isn't annihilation. It's not a kind of going into a black hole, a void of nothingness. So the encouragement to you know learn to trust this, not not your opinions and views, because they can be right or wrong, but what you can trust is is awareness, and to really respect that in yourself. See that as this is the whole emphasis of of the Buddha, Satisampajanya. The gate to the deathless is open. Trust in this. And what is the gate to the deathless? It's, then I <clears throat> can you I can define for you satisampatanya, but it's just this uh, open attentiveness to the present. It's a it's a openness, a welcoming of the present moment. It's not trying to control or or judge, or define anything. And as you begin to trust that, it 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 connects. You know, sati sampajanya isn't isn't created. It's not a sankara. So you it doesn't arise and cease. Your ability to be mindful comes and goes. But as you cultivate with samaditi right understanding, cultivate bhavana, then, you know, you begin to see it's, it's what you relax in, where you're, you're nobody anymore. You're not, you're not trying to be, to become anything or get rid of anything. You're not holding on to memories of the past or, or, trying to, to purify yourself. So this is a great, you know, this, this gift of the Buddha. You know, I would never have been able to figure this out as a person. 
<clears throat> so I have enormous gratitude to the Buddha for for giving this 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 excellent skillful means so that that we all all of us here can realize this for ourselves it's possible every single one of us is conscious and it's not like becoming a buddhist or anything it's not about joining a cult or a clan it's it's learning to awaken to life itself from the the confining misery of of conditioning the limitation of identity with the body and the personality and the emotions. So <clears throat> going to train with Lung Po Cha, then <clears throat> these teachings like Four Noble Truths, the dependent origination, all these, these uh, the Pasunapumi teachings, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, they're, they're very helpful in, in guiding our attention in a, in a way that we can stay on the path. Sama Titi, Sama Sangapo, Sama Waja, Sama Gamanto, Sama Tiwo, right speech, right action, right livelihood, leads to Sama Vayamo, Sama Sati, Sama Samadhi, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. And even right is, uh, I like the word perfect for the Eightfold Path. It's perfection itself. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening. <clears throat> <clears throat>